This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR, brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. I'm John Purcell and I'll be with you for the next half an hour or so. Coming up on the programme this week, our series Talking Shop, it continues and we're joined by two new guests, Mag Kerwin of Goatsbridge Trout Farm and Julian Hughes of Hughes Farming. And we'll be chatting to them with my co-host Nikki Hoyne of My Shining Armour and the Hero podcast about all things in business. Do stay tuned for that. We'll also hear from Telenostic Chief Technology Officer Eamon Power on the latest device being developed by that firm, which aims to provide rapid results and to be cost effective for farmers and for vets. But first, with only six days left to get your nominations in for Network Ireland Businesswoman of the Year 2020, and with Sunday, March the 8th being International Women's Day, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Linda Cadool, who's Vice President of Network Kilkenny. Linda, you're very welcome to The Bottom Line. Thank you very much, John, for having me in. Yeah, pleasure. Tell us about Network Ireland and Network Kilkenny. So Network Ireland was established 37 years ago in 1983. It's a progressive uh, dynamic organisation which supports both the professional and personal development of women. So nationwide, there are 16 branches with over 1,200 members. And our members are a very diverse group of women from budding entrepreneurs, SME owners and professional from across all industry sectors, including multinational organisations, non-profit charities, the arts and the public sector. And what about Kilkenny? How many have you got in Kilkenny? Currently, we have 40 members. Right. And what kind of stuff do you do? What's the purpose of it? so to speak. The purpose of it is to bring like-minded women together um, along with organisations and to help promote diversity and equality and to empower women to have a strong voice in life. And how's that going? It's going very well. Um, We organise at least one event on a monthly basis. Um, We have two events coming up shortly. Uh, The first one is on the 12th of March. It's in the AXA office on the Dublin Road and um, it's a lunchtime event. So it's from 12 until 2. And the topic is about continuous development of your business. And our guest speaker is Rebecca Power. So she'll be chatting to us about the introduction of lean systems into your business and an A3 thinking as a tool for your business. What A3 thinking? Is that uh, expanding from A4 thinking into a bigger page? Absolutely. And if you want to know more, you're going to have to come and join us. But can I come? I'm a male. You can, of course. Um, Even though we are a, a, a... club for women. Men are very welcome to come and join us and we've had some great men come and join us in the past and it's also open to non-members as well. So Right, so pretty open door policy. Absolutely. Everybody is welcome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, network is in the name and networking is is hugely popular. How do you and and the other members find that? It's great. Um, When I came to Kilkenny first, I didn't know very many people outside of my my employment. Uh, So I found that 
this was a great way of meeting other professional women and introduce myself to other organisations in the area to get to know what's going on. Um, and we have a spotlight event at the start of every evening that we host and members are welcome to stand up and pitch their business and promote themselves or 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 what their activities are and people are often shy about going to stuff like that but I I get the impression from seeing photos and your social media and so on that it's a very convivial bunch uh, and that there's a fairly open and welcoming atmosphere at your meetings absolutely yes yes Um, if you are shy about coming in feel free to contact us beforehand but we are very open and we are a lovely bunch of women from all walks of life so we'd be very welcoming to to have new members and new people join us yeah and the business women of the year awards is coming up and the deadline is quite soon I think it is very soon it's only six days away as you mentioned so the closing date is next Friday the 13th um, for applications so in order to join you must be a member of Network Ireland so it's not too late to register with us in order to put in your application and you can be nominated or you can put yourself forward and there are eight categories um, for you to enter. The first one is small SME businesses which is for companies with less than 10 employees and are at least three years in business. We have the large SME category which are greater than 10 employees and again for three years and more in business. We The next category is the solo businesswoman. So if you're a lady who is working in the business by themselves, that's the category for you to enter. Um, the next category is the emerging new business. So if you've set out on a new venture and you're less than three years in operation, you can enter into that. And also for employees, because a lot of our members of the group as well are employees, not just business owners. Um, so we have the, the rising star category. So if you have post-graduated and an employment now between six to three years you can join that group uh, in the next category is the sh- shining star so if you're employed for more than 12 months within a, in, a, in a company we also have then categories for arts and a new category this year is the stem which is science technology engineering and maths yeah and, and a big push on to get more women involved and i was delighted to be speaking during the week to a number of engineers with irish water not traditional roles associated with women but women can perform any roles absolutely we are not restricted to what we can do and we can be just as good as men and better at times as well i hear um <laughs> finally um uh Linda, I noticed that our own Emer Neve Rainon will be hitting the podium towards the end of this month. She will indeed. She's going to join us on the 25th of March um, in the Pembroke Hotel at six o'clock. Um, the evening is based on media skills. So Emer is going to join us and she's going to talk about preparing to speak on radio. We also have Siobhan Donoghue from the Kilkenny People coming to talk to us about media print. And Helen Carl from Ear to the Ground is going to join us as well to prepare us for TV interviews. Mm. So that'll be a very interesting interesting evening and uh, later on in the year then hopefully in June we'll have Joanne Hessen coming to talk to us and she's the founder of Lyft and the Entrepreneurs Academy so that again will be a very informative evening. All sounds great Linda tell me uh, where can people find out more if they like the sound of what you're saying and they want to get involved with Network Kilkenny? Yeah, so we the national website is networkireland.ie. Um, the email address for the local branch here in Kilkenny is networkirelandkilkenny at gmail.com. And we have LinkedIn pages, Facebook pages, Instagram, um, and you can find us under Network Ireland. 
Great. Thank you very much. That's Linda Cadool, who's Vice President of Network Kilkenny, speaking to us about all the events that that local organisation has got coming up in the next few weeks and a busy agenda indeed. And we look forward to hearing about some of that stuff over the coming weeks and months. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie. Telenostic is a Kilkenny-based company who've developed an image recognition algorithm that will save vets and Irish farmers considerable time and money in identifying parasites in their herds. And I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Eamon Power, who's the Chief Technology Officer of Telenostic. It's an area I don't know much about, uh, Eamon. Tell us what the company does. Uh, So at present, we've been developing uh, an online platform and a uh, a practice side uh, device that uh, allows vets to carry out, um, I suppose, uh, veterinary parasitology, more specifically faecal egg counts uh, in practice, uh, in a short amount of time, uh, I would say the, the the most granular they could do is probably thirty minutes worth of a test. And um, why is this such an important issue, or is it a big breakthrough, or what's the value in in such a product? So, if you look at, I suppose um, everybody's familiar with the uh, the good old uh, you got to dose your farm animals. Uh, yeah, those ads. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I have fond memories of this as a child. So it's been going for at least forty years now at this stage. But one of the biggest issues around this is that uh, while we've been using these broad-spectrum antiparasitic drugs for a long time, um, parasites have now started to cotton onto it and have developed resistance to them. Um, now, I suppose uh, we liken this to uh, the antibiotic resistance uh, threat that's kind of over the horizon. But the difference is this one's already here. It's kind of already around us and there's already sheep starting to die in Sligo from it. So this is kind of three years old information at this stage. Right. And so I would presume then that a product like the one you're developing is will be very warmly welcomed by both vets and by the farming community. Yeah. Um, one of the, the biggest things that um, we've we've heard of from vets is the fact that um, at the moment it's kind of a suck it and see approach. What they do is they'll they'll prescribe or they'll um, issue um, antiparasitics or antelmentics as they're known in, in the business to uh, farmers if an animal happens to be sick. Um, and if the animal gets better, then great, that was the problem. And if the animal dies, then okay, that could be an issue there that needs to be looked at before the rest of the herd starts to go. Um, So uh, previously, what they would have assumed was, well, it's probably not parasites if the antiparasitic drug didn't work. But what they actually find now is is potentially that that's uh, maybe not the case. It could be just that the, uh, the parasite has developed a resistance to this particular treatment. So they need to examine things further. Um, now, most vets worth their salt will potentially do something like a faecal egg count, which basically means they take a sample from the field of, uh, of animal excrement. They'll uh, mix it with a, a solution typically a saline solution, um, and they'll uh, examine it under a microscope using a little device called a McMaster slide, usually. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, again, there's vets who'll be jumping up and down and saying, this might be right or wrong, but yeah, yeah again. Yeah. So um, what we've done is we've, we've developed something that effectively uses a similar mechanism to McMaster, but we've improved on it. It's um, an image recognition algorithm. So part of it is the image recognition algorithm, and part of it is a very smart device that lets us capture images in a very normalised way uh, so that we can use that algorithm effectively. So one of the biggest issues is, I mean, like there exists a thing called hold slide readers, which will look at slides. But the issue there is you're looking at a very small sample. Um, it takes a while for it to, to run. And uh, what you get at the end of it is something where you've got to take the number of eggs that you count and multiply it by, we'll say, something like 50. 
and that's given your actual answer, which is your eggs per gram. So all fecal egg counts come back in eggs per gram. Um, what we've done is we've uh, put together a system which is now patented that um, gives you a precision down to, um, I think, like seven seven eggs per gram. So it's it's quite, or sorry, down to uh, like a, a sensitivity of seven. So it's very it's very good. Yeah. Um, much much more precise than the existing used um, standards in the lab. So sounds very technical and sounds like a lot of R&D is involved. How, how long has it taken you to get to this particular stage where you, you're, you're developing the viable product? So if I'm to think about how long I've been working with the team, I've been, I guess, on board for the last two and a half years in, in CFR Mental Agnostic. If I'm to think about um, how long the project has actually been in, in motion, um, it's probably closer to four, between four and five years at this stage. So like all good ideas, um, as they say, you can usually say it's uh, if, if you're going from real concept, somebody, scientists will generally say five to 10 years. Mm. We're at the five year mark anyway, I would say. Yeah, now in the introduction, I mistakenly said that it would be save vets and Irish farmers uh, time and money. Presumably this would have an international dimension and you could actually make it work for farmers all around the world because it's not confined to Ireland, presumably. Uh, exactly. Um, parasites don't care what country they're in. Yeah. Um, so uh, actually, the the risk of, um, I suppose, ill health due to parasitic infection, um, it, it's a global problem. And it doesn't just affect animals, it affects humans too. Um, I suppose, uh, for us at least, our main focus has been on the veterinary market um, because we know that there's an immediate impact um, that it can generate here for a large population of people. Um, but we're aware of the fact that there's other applications outside of the veterinary space as well. And so quite a quite a, a big opportunity. It sounds like there's a huge gap in the market there. Uh, at present, it looks like there is. Um, there's, a, there's a few products that are kind of trying to address this area. And I suppose one of the key things that we, we keep scratching our heads about is how come nobody else has come up with something like this yet? Um, I suppose the key thing, I suppose, well, actually, there's two key things for us, at least. One is we've, we've patented what we've done so far on the physical systems side of things. But the other side of it as well is that I guess the team that we've engaged with in developing things to date has been a very cross-disciplined team. I mean, as they say, you wouldn't, uh, if you were going this way, you wouldn't start out from here. So, yeah, yeah. You know. When we when we chatted just before we uh, uh, came on air, you were talking about how you wear a number of hats. It, you know, Telenostic, a relatively new company, you're mm-hmm. at the stage wearing a number of hats. Tell us about that juggling job. Uh, well, uh, I suppose it's it's fairly typical in a small business that you end up having to do a few different things. Um, from my part, at least, my background is in software engineering um, and uh, deployment to systems. So. I've had to look at, um, you know, doing things like uh, making sure that we keep all of our software development activities on track. Um, I actually had to write some of the software myself, which is is fine, but I don't mind that. It's quite enjoyable. Um, but at the same time, there is not just the software aspect of the overall system development. We've got uh, we've got cloud involved there. We've got um, physical systems. We've got mechanical. We've got electronic. We've got um, design. Uh, we've got um, aesthetics. All of these things all start to play in together. And I, I guess I suppose I'm lucky in that we've got, you know, a nice team together around all of this. So it's not just me, but there's lots of external people as well involved in this. Yeah, you were working with the Irish Centre for High End Computing. Tell us about that. And yeah. What's that been able to help you with? So iChecker, I, I will put this in very serious terms. They're a very good team. They're very competent people. I mean, like, um, they, 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 there's not a lot about supercomputing that team doesn't know. And at the same time, they've also been engaging with us on developing the um, the machine learning and artificial intelligence aspect of what we've been working on. 
Um, and quite frankly, I mean, like, like eventually we would have been able to develop the capabilities ourselves. But by engaging with the guys in iCheck, we've been able to get you know a good jump ahead on that very quickly. Yeah. So uh, Telenostic is a spin-off from, of course, that well-known local company CF Pharma, who uh, were awarded the Business of the Year award at Kilkenny Chamber. Um, many plans for growth in the years ahead. Yes, absolutely. Well, actually, it's not even plans. We're in the middle of growing right now. Tell uh, us about that growth. I'm story. trying to think. So since Christmas, I've seen so many new faces around the, the business. Um, I think uh, in production side of things in CF Pharma, there's been at least seven people have, have gone in there since Christmas. Um, and we're not just talking like, you know, um, we're not talking like, you know, uh, straightforward things. We're talking fairly involved product development roles, um, serious, like, you know, work that has to be done in this region. And it's great to see that there's people available with these high levels of skill to do this work. Um, I think it's really important. Development of the product is one aspect of it, but presumably now you've got to market it. You've gone public, so to speak, with, with mm-hmm. this this product. What are the next steps? So as is typical in, I suppose, the industry, uh, the pharmaceutical industry is a, is, a, is a funny one. Generally speaking, you will find that the folks who make things are not also the folks who distribute and sell things. So at the moment, I suppose, we're in the process of, of developing a distribution channel with a, with a global distributor. Um, it's, does, I suppose there's a lot of work involved in that, but um, it's, it's a well-recognized way of doing things in, in the industry that we're in. And uh, you're optimistic about the future? Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, um, I suppose we we started down this track and we did some initial market research ourselves um, and it, like the numbers looked good on it. Um, the, the potential was great. Um, and so we took it and we went towards some of the distributors and we started asking some questions from them and they sort of did some initial market research and said, actually, we think you're a little conservative on your numbers. So we said, okay, that's good. <laughs> um, and as we dig in deeper, we understand now that um, as you look at all of the different markets and the different you know, uh, verticals in those markets, you you start to find that while the landscape is not as flat as you imagined it is, there are certainly some interesting hills and valleys to explore there. So um, we've we've got to uh, make sure that when we put what we're putting out on the market, we address the right people at the right time. Um, But we have a a good sense that there's lots of people out there who are kind of saying, you know, supplies this product, we're waiting for it. So Well, that's a good place to start. That's Eamon Power, who's Chief Technology Officer with Telenostic, a Kilkenny-based company who are working to save vets and farmers time and money in Ireland and around the world. And we look forward uh, to keeping uh, up with the unfolding story of that locally-based company in the months and years ahead. Thanks, Eamon, for joining us in the studio. Thank you so much. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. You're listening to The Bottom Line on KCLR, and this is Talking Shop, our feature, where over the last number of weeks, we've been discussing various aspects of starting your own business. I'm John Purcell, and I'm joined by my Talking Shop co-host, Nikki Hoyne of My Shining Armour and The Hero Podcast. Nikki, the chats over the last few weeks have been pretty good. Tell people who've been unfortunate enough to miss out about it. Last month, we had two fantastic guests. We had Joe Brown of beauty and now lifestyle brand Joe Brown. She's doing incredible things. Uh, she started out with a solid perfume and she now has an array of products that are brand new in the Irish market like diffusers and bamboo bedding. Uh, she just launched in South Korea and she has a fantastic attitude and drive and she just 
kind of plays by her own rules. And then we also had Emma Hogan Air of Airbrushed Beauty and Skin Clinic in Kilkenny. Another fantastic story. I think in the beauty industry, she has to continue to innovate in order to keep ahead of the game because it's so competitive. And last year she grew 300% year on year, which is just amazing. So two fantastic ladies. Yes, and this week we're joined by two new guests who'll be joining us this week and over the next three weeks. I'm delighted to welcome Mag Kerwin of Goatsbridge Trout Farm and Julian Hughes of Hughes Farming. Mag, you're very welcome to Talking Shop. For anyone who may not have heard about you or about uh, Goatsbridge Trout Farm, tell us a bit about yourself and the business. Okay, um, I joined the business when I married my husband 28 years ago. Um, it was a, a second generation family business it started in the 1960s um, and I suppose um, I run the business with my husband now and uh, we're at a very serious growth of rate at the moment so it's it's all exciting times Julian, welcome to the show tell us Thanks a bit about yourself and your business um, We grow fresh produce for retail out in Kells um, I suppose you could say the business started when I had a school bag on my back when I, I called into O'Shea's and we started growing carrots and from there it's developed on from there. So it's a it's a it's a strange situation of being a, a first generation produce grower or vegetable grower, whichever way you want to put it. Fantastic. Thank you for introducing yourselves. So let's get stuck in. Um so why did you start your businesses or how did you come to be a business owner? Well, for for me, it was basically a rite of um, passage when I married my husband. But mm. I, I didn't say that we're actually trout farmers. We produce uh, fresh rainbow trout, um, and and basically, um, my husband, who I met in university in UCD, went back to the family business straight from college. Something which I probably wouldn't recommend to my family, in the sense that it would probably have been a good idea for him to go and to live away for a number of years. Although it suited him, he was happy. Um, and I got stuck in then when I left my job as a biochemist. Uh, eventually gave in to my heart to become a fishwife, as I said. Mm-hmm. And um, and basically, you know, I I got stuck into the business. Uh, Jared's parents were still very much involved for a number of years. Um, and so we eventually had kids. We had four kids in six years. And it wasn't until I had my last child when I came into Kilkenny one day with the my youngest baby in a rocker and I rocked up to the Enterprise Board Fiona Deegan and I said right this is my last child um, I know nothing about business um, tell me all you know and that was it that was So you start. weren't really in it from day one like, No, no when, I, when I say I was in it I mean my first number of years was ba- I basically learned my trade I, I got mm. stuck in I worked From when you, when you got married Yeah I, I, I mean I, I actually had when I came back I worked in the UK um, as a biochemist in the Wellcome Foundation in Kent I then took a year out travelled came back was engaged and married within six months it all happened very quickly mm. I'd applied for a job in, in Carnegie Regional lecturing and uh, eventually we kind of almost didn't really talk about it but you know my heart told me I wanted to be in the business I started to do things like working in the hatchery you know we had greyhounds at the time and I worked in the factory the factory at the time was a very small um, processing unit but I started to work um, as an operative really and learned my trade there and was probably very 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 important for me because you know Jared's parents were still very much at the helm Jared's sisters and brothers were still living at home so I had to bide my time 
basically. Mm-hmm. Um, not really realising it. I mean, in, in, in reflection, you know, I think to myself, God, you know, you came back. I had a very good job in the UK. Uh, I was well qualified. I had a job that I loved. Um, and, but I suppose I loved Jar more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I came back and learned my trade, which was probably a good thing. And then eventually... And we had kids, we had four kids in six years and I was lucky enough to have the luxury of being able to stay at home with those and to give them the time for the first number of years. Um, And we almost had almost like a role reversal when I went back to work in the business. Jared's parents eventually retired and their time was, was, you know, their time was right for them. And I kind of got stuck into the running of the business in real terms where I was using, I suppose, my brain, not necessarily my brawn, which is where you can really make money. And was that, is that the kind of the biochemistry brain that you had wanted to take trout and evolve it into what um, you'd done with it's it? It's funny, you know, I mean, I suppose the day I realised I wouldn't, you know, pursue that job lecturing in Carlo and continue my career as, it was, as I had seen it when coming back to Ireland was the day I'd had been over for one of my dates with my husband in his home. Uh, Jared's mother is a fantastic cook and she just cooked something as simple as a, as a, as a, as a, a trout for dinner. She pan fried it. And I'll never forget that day. It's almost like a defining moment. I can still see myself standing um, at, at one of the fish ponds um, um, at that evening as Jared fed the fish. It was very romantic, as you can imagine. And I remember the sun was shining. It was just a perfect evening. And I looked at, at the water as he fed the fish and the fish were jumping up. And I just turned to him and said, oh, my God. That product was fantastic. You know, in our in our house, we used to have fish fingers. We didn't really, you know, my mother was a working woman, so we didn't have much fresh fish. Probably couldn't afford it, maybe. But um, I remember saying to him, this is amazing. The product is fantastic. Look around you. It's an amazing story. Why aren't you telling the story? And that was the moment I, I suppose, my I can definitely say I can still feel that courage of the conviction and the belief in what we were doing. Mm. And that's still there to this day. And it's a burning light that I, I just absolutely believe in what I do, which is why I can do what I do. And that was the moment... I I thought, you know, but it, as I said, it took a few years for me to get into a position where I was in, in a position of, of affecting change within the business because you have to respect where everybody is in terms of their lives. They weren't ready to retire. It was very much a farming uh, a farming background, you know, and I had to preset a different way of life and different pace of life from what I was used to. You know, I did come from a family business. So, for you know, I, I came from a business where my mother wasn't a stay-at-home mother. She was a working um, mother. Uh, she was a, a mother of 10 kids. My father died before before my youngest brother was born so it's all I knew that my mother was a working woman we were all sent away to school and eventually to university and and so I suppose it was natural for me to feel I wanted to work within the business in, in a similar role that my mother worked and ran and grew a very successful business and the other thing I would say because people often found it strange you know Ger, my husband is very much I suppose looks after the farming side and for him it was a way of life you know he loves the farming the outdoor life he loves to physically do the thing and for me, even to take on the role that I have now within my business, it was probably natural because I have a role similar to the role that his mother took on within within that dynamic. Whereas Jarrah's mother was very much the driving force in terms of the business and Jarrah's father was very much, I suppose, the implementer, the operator of the farms, you know, and his pure love of, of, of farming. So I suppose for, it, it worked well for myself and Jarrah because it's what he knew, it's what I knew. And I suppose... You know that that's I, I suppose I brought some level of my um, my learning from my background to the business. It's probably very similar. Mm. So maybe I I married Jer because it was a similar background as opposed to his good looks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Julian. What about you? What was your path to? You've you've been uh, awarded a number of awards, Business of the Year. Uh, with the Kilkenny Chamber just a few short years ago. Mm, well, it wouldn't be a traditional farming business, so. I would have been. Um, I would have grown up in a small family farm. My parents had a business, which I think a lot of people would know as the flower business, the daffodil business out in Kilkenny. But 
I looked at it when I was in college and I felt that for me to actually get involved, it needed something else. So it was at that point that I looked at um, fresh produce, specifically carrots, and uh, started growing carrots when I was still in college. And I'd always had a kind of an interest in starting my own companies and doing my own thing. And my parents were still involved and helped me an awful lot with it. But around the same time, I was doing my master's in the UK and I set up another company, which was um, Hughes Consulting and Training. So we had kind of three three dynamics going in that there was the there was the farming business, which was growing carrots. There was John's business, which was doing the flowers. And then there was the business I had in Kilkenny. And um, I was working well and I enjoy carrots. I mean, I don't have the same romantic story that Mag might have. It's all soil and muck and diesel and metal. But... Um, it grew well over time and kind of brought it as far as we could in that we were supplying onto another supply chain and, you know, could never get any bigger than it was going to get. So was always keen to progress it from that. And um, when I was doing my master's, I um, I ended up um, just through a series of coincidences with, with the Farmers Journal and things like that. I, I, I did an Uffield scholarship in 2010 and that kind of led on to doing more corporate ag stuff. So I got, got heavily involved in a... Well, it was a 25 million euro first round raise of a project in Eastern Europe. And we bought 17,500 acres of farmlands and millions and squillions of acres of this and that. And it was great. And it was, you know, it was exciting. And you were spending big, big, big chunks of other people's money. And all the time, the business at home was ticking over. But during that time, then I, I took on actually growing another crop and we started doing a bit of retail packing. And that side of the business started to explode fairly quickly. So I was left with kind of a decision. I had nearly three, if not four balls up in the air. So quickly made the decision that I would step away from the training company and, you know, it worked very well for a while, but, you know, I was happy enough to leave it behind. And then over time then I started to realise that what I was doing in Eastern Europe was taking up a huge amount of my time and I was travelling, I was on a plane once a week and, you know, it was all very fancy, you're at the fancy restaurants every night and all that and then I'd come home and you'd be sitting the glamour there. glamour of farming, oh, no, eh? There was no glamour <laughs> at home, I can tell you, pulling stones out of a conveyor or something like that and you'd be kind of two totally different worlds. But... um yeah, I made the decision fairly quickly that well, it, it became a decision that I was gonna I was gonna lose one or the other. So it was around twenty fourteen that I would have focused all the efforts into what we're doing at home. Since then, it's been it's been like sitting on a racehorse with no reins. So it's it's uh, it's it's been exciting. It's been painful. It's been it's been all them things you'd expect. But the business has grown fairly fairly aggressively. And I mean, in that it's been it's been it's been exciting, and there's been the pain involved with all that and keeping things in the right place at the right time. So yeah, it's been a you're both very um, ambitious businesses, from what I know of both of your businesses. There's there's always the um, option of leaving things as they are and letting things trundle on. What gives you the kind of motivation to want to bring it to the next level, Mike? Uh, I mean, you know, I suppose um, the motivations change. I mean, if you if you if you don't, you you have to continuously change. I mean, if you stand, you know, even to change, you're standing still, even if you make small changes. I mean, I suppose you have a belief, you have a vision, and that's something that comes from within, I think, if you believe in something. And I think, you know, when you look around at um, other businesses, other people, you see what they're doing. I suppose it's not it's not only change doesn't just come from within yourself. It comes from people's expectations as what they want. So if you're being customer centred or customer focused, you soon realise that you have to make changes. You know, so so uh, change is very much part and parcel of what you must do, and it's something that comes natural, I think, to anybody who is ambitious about their business. I can't say where that comes from. And Julian, what do you like? I know I've known Julian since we were little kids, <laughs> so like I've always known him out in the fields and always after something like 
there's always been that fire and that want, like the hunger for... I think part of the problem is my parents would have, my poor mother would have always said that I, I was fiercely independent from a young age, which killed her, because I never, I never really wanted anyone to help me do anything. So I always had a desire to, I wouldn't say my own thing, because to be fair, they've been involved in what I've done and they've been a big part of it. But certainly I always wanted to be kind of the master and commander of whatever I was doing. So And you're not, allo- you're not allowed to use any nicknames from when we were kids either. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I always, I mean, I remember there was one autumn there where I actually saw to myself that I was a bit, I wouldn't say depressed, but I was just a bit down on myself and I couldn't figure out why. When I stood back from it, I realised that it's because the business was about to do the same thing two years in a row and I felt it was just a huge lost opportunity in the fact that we were going to basically replicate the same thing all over again when there was an opportunity there that we could actually push it on a bit. So... I mean, we've been the victim of, of our own ambitions as well at times in terms of, you could argue that the business is over-traded in parts and things like that, but, you know, that's, that's, that's part and parcel of what we've tried to do, so it's been, it's been exciting. Yeah. Okay, well, you've been listening to Talk and Shop on the bottom line with myself, John Purcell, and my co-presenter, Nikki Hoyne, and we've been chatting to Mag Kerwin of Goatsbridge Trade Farm and Julian Hughes of Hughes, Hughes Farming about the path that led them into their respective businesses. And we'll be chatting to them again next week. And you've got just the flavour of their business story. And next week we'll be talking about the whole issue of confidence, self-confidence and conviction in your vision. Uh, Mag mentioned conviction. But people also uh, grapple with doubt at times as well. So I do hope you'll join us next Saturday morning uh, just after nine. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. And that, unfortunately, is all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. We'll be back next Saturday as usual, just after 9am. And don't forget, you can listen back to this episode or indeed any episode of The Bottom Line on our Bottom Line podcast, which is available across a range of platforms all you got to do is just search for Bottom Line Casey Lore. Thanks to all our guests this week Eamon Power of Telenostic, Linda Cadool from Network Kilkenny, and to the guests on our Talking Shop feature Mag Kerwin of Goatsbridge Trout Farm, Julian Hughes of Hughes Farming, and my co host on that, Nikki Hoyne of My Shining Armour and the Hero Podcast. Don't forget, if you'd like to contact the programme, and we'd love to hear from you, you can email us at the bottom line at KCLR96FM.com Thanks to John Keane on sound editing and Deirdre Drummy who produced. I've been John Purcell. Until we speak again, enjoy the weekend and have a good week. KCLR's Bottom Line. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.onf.ie